Rogue Radio. Now available on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com forward slash rogue country. Keep it rogue. What is going on, you vandals, vagabonds, and vansters? Welcome to another episode of Into the Van. I really hope you enjoyed our last episode with Tan Sanders and listened to his amazing new record, When Am I Going to Have My Day? It's brilliant. I really hope you enjoyed the chat. I hope you enjoyed the music. Today, we are at episode 50. We have done 50 of these episodes. That is an incredible thing to do. I've talked to 50 people and 50 people haven't got bored of me yet that's an amazing thing and i really hope you've been enjoying this podcast if you do enjoy this podcast obviously please share it with friends tell people about it show anyone who you think might be interested in this type of discussion and in this type of music they might get something out of it and that's the only way we can really grow as musicians as creative people is all through word of mouth but yeah we did it we're at episode 50 Today we are of course brought to you by my new single Mothman and I really enjoy this song I'm going to drop a teaser for you now but we are working on new music me and Rob are going to be going into the studio soon we've written a lot of songs one of my favorite ones is on YouTube at the moment it's called how to build a guillotine I wrote it for obvious reasons but here's a little teaser of Mothman Red eyes in the darkness streaming platforms is available on my website mike333west.com in the store we've got t-shirts with mothman on it it's an amazing design done by christian at eating alive designs who's a liverpool local who's a phenomenal illustrator he also did the bastard country stuff but let's get down to brass tacks today for episode 50 this landmark episode we've really scraped the bottom of the barrel to bring you this guest josh bedis (laughs) is a country musician from west wales in pembrokeshire and i was trying to think of how i actually met josh i believe we first knew of each other and played together in devices down south in um, a songwriters round and that was the first time i met josh and from there you know we started chatting online and just josh was really the first person in the country music scene in the uk that I felt was on my wavelength that I felt, you know, got it and was, you know, he was putting the time and he was working hard. He was working on his craft and writing these songs and wanted it just as bad as me. And that was something that was really refreshing and I needed to see it in the UK scene because I felt so alone, which is a really like sad thing to have happen. But since me and Josh first met and started talking, we, you know, we built Rogue Country together in 2019. We expanded it into a radio show. We started booking gigs. And as we've started doing that, more people are joining the cause. More people are coming through. We've got a nice little group chat going on now, which is super fun. And I feel less alone in the UK scene. And a big chunk of that is down to Josh Bettis. Today, we're going to talk about the other month or last month. He played with Sierra Farrell in his sold-out show in Birkenhead, which was just absolutely incredible. He's got an amazing EPL, One for Sorrow. He's working on new music. I've heard teasers for it, and it's fucking phenomenal. And he's really going to be up there in terms of the who's who of UK artists very, very soon, and I can guarantee that. We played a festival in October last year, 
and we recorded a half hour episode of Into the Van. It was meant to be longer, but dickhead me didn't bring my um, power supply for the recorder. So we only got half an hour. So the first big chunk of this talk was done the day after the Sierra Feral gig on the 28th of June this year. And then I'm going to do a little uh, break and then I'm going to play the audio we captured in the van actually in the van in October of last year because it's also a great chat. So, without further ado, this is episode 50 of Into the Van with Mike West and Josh Benders. We are rolling for a very special version of Into the Van where we aren't actually in the van. We are in my humble abode with the Mr. Bosch Jettis. <laughs> the one and only. <laughs> so, do you want to get into last night first? Oh, yes. It's the morning after, the night before. <laughs> what happened last night, Mike? <laughs> so, a year ago, a year or two ago, um, I got the option or the ability to book Sierra Feral for a world gig. Um, it was meant to happen in January, and it sold out within 24 hours. And then I think they realized how fucking much of a demand there was for Sierra. And due to the pandemic and stuff, everything got rescheduled to June. We moved it to a bigger venue. That sold out. And you got to open the fucking show. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy, man. Mm. Honest to God, it still blows my mind. Mm. What the hell happened last night? Yeah. So, obviously, I... FaceTimed you when you got the slot because I've been chasing the support acts for ages because it was meant to be Arlo McKinley was meant to be opening the show in January (laughs) (laughs) which would have been fucking amazing and like you know I love your music but it's Arlo McKinley but then obviously it got rescheduled Arlo did the Oh Boy tour recently so obviously he was busy with that which was amazing which I went to in Manchester um, and then the support slot was wide open and I'd like I'd genuinely been pushing for you to open it since I'd booked the gig but obviously they had something in mind for January and then when it came back to being rescheduled I just fucking pushed for it even more so and uh, look where we are now yeah look where we are now <laughs> yeah so you know obviously I FaceTimed you on I think it was the 10th of June. Yeah, I was in work. I was milling around in the van. I was like, <laughs> incoming call from Michael West. Wasn't even going to accept it, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be some utter nonsense as usual. <laughs> and then end up grinning like a Cheshire cat for like the next two days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's the moment because like, I'd been messaging the booking agent for ages, being like, I want this guy to open the show. I want this guy to open the show. And I told Siv because I'd got an email being like, okay resend us the links and we'll send it to management now it was like the furthest I'd got in ages and I was like ooh <laughs> I was like this is a really fucking good sign and then it was I literally I was driving to download and I got the email about it and I fucking was like oh my god told my dad I had to like tell my dad the entire story beforehand so he could also get excited for us and then I was like FaceTimed you and it was so fucking cool to just like be able to do that because what I want to do with Rogue and what we both want to do with Rogue is platform UK artists. Yeah. And the only way I think UK artists will be able to succeed or make a name for themselves in the UK is for opening for American acts. So to get a UK artist like yourself in front of a Sierra crowd is fucking 
insane. Yeah. We don't have that legacy they have over there. No. We don't have someone to pass the torch. Mm. We don't have the same means of networking on the scale that they do over there. So I think you've hit the nail on the head, hundred mm. percent. We need to start getting people on bills with these guys. Yeah. And uh, yes, they proved it worked. I think because yeah. that was one hell of a show. Yeah. So you know, so told you on June tenth, and I think when I told you, we were at it was a three hundred capacity venue. I think we were at like two hundred and eighty. Yeah. But we didn't announce you until it already sold out. So <laughs> it wasn't like you had to promote the gig, which no. is a nice load off. The thing is, like. I got told short notice and I'd already pretty much written this year off coming mm. out of COVID and stuff. I didn't think I'd be doing anything other than trying to push the new stuff we're working on, working on recordings and like laying down some foundations. And then you swoop in and <laughs> drop this bombshell on me. <laughs> no, right, on. So, you know, so the gig was yesterday. Did you do any preparations? Because you had like a half hour set. Yeah. Did you do anything differently to prepare for this gig that you would do otherwise? Not really, to be honest. Um, I had a gig on the Friday anyway. Mm. So I sort of went through the potential set then. Mm. So that was a good gig as well. So I was already on a high coming in. Confidence yeah. was up. Yeah. So it was weird. I had like, nerves hit me just before, like the last five minutes before I went on. Then as soon as I hit the stage, man, I just relaxed completely. Yeah. and just felt right. And the crowd was so warm and welcoming and mm. so many fucking people. <laughs> <laughs> That's the amount because I, we talked about this before because obviously you've, you crashed at mine uh, for the night and stuff. We talked about this. You know, when there's an artist that has like a following, you worry that people are only going to be going and only care about that artist. Hey. And I've seen it quite a few times when there's like a bit of a cult around people. Yeah, even see at smaller shows, there seems mm. to be this... I don't know what it is people don't want to watch support acts yeah in fact some guy told me that last night oh I don't usually watch supports but I'm glad I did yeah so <laughs> yeah. watch the supports people fucking yeah. hell but that was the you cool you could be missing out yeah. but that was the cool <laughs> thing where it was like we didn't know how it was gonna go I went out into the crowd when you first came on with a cattle prod and just jammed them towards <laughs> yeah. the stage yeah and just started like moving around and like yelling and clapping so people thought more people were but um, <laughs> but it, it filled out and the cool thing was it got quiet yeah and it was like the actual crowd gave a shit yeah and you could tell I could see like people like nudging and you know you know you, it's a good one when you see people like pushing to get to the front yeah but then people were like on their phones but then putting their phones away which is always a fucking good sign so it was cool yeah, to see like the crowd actually react to that and then it filled up it must have been 200-ish when you started playing and then it was getting close to full when you were like finishing up and I, it was a really fucking good crowd for you man and like that's yeah. the best I've seen you play and like you're a fucking killer musician anyway but I really like you were in the pocket the hey, entire time that gig that's what I mean I don't even know what happened there just <laughs> like I said it was a bag of nerves until I went up those steps yeah and then all that just left like a switch yeah was there any like game time yeah was there any like thinking you were thinking in particular for nerves because I know when I've done Big shows, my biggest thing is like the guitar is going to fucking break or I'm going to flub a line or something. But was that like the nerves that you go through when you. Oh no, man. I don't put that fucking voodoo on myself. Like, I'm <laughs> <laughs> not going to manifest that. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, you know, I heard them, the band during soundcheck yeah. and they were incredible. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, I've got to go on and play now. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> it's always in the back of your head, you know, what if it doesn't go down well? What if yeah. you, you know. I'm a bugger for getting lyrics and stuff or stumbling mm. over some chords or whatever. Mm. So you just want to put on the best show you can. Yeah. 
it was um, an amazing opportunity, and I, I just didn't want to shit the bed, basically. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, fuck, it just went down so well. Mm. Never sold so much merch in my life. Mm. It was just an incredible show. The feedback was great. Yeah. yeah. Autographs, man. <laughs> I only get bills. <laughs> no one wants my signature. Mm. Listen, fuck. Yeah. But that's a thing. You know what we were talking about before about American acts. It's when you put someone at like level head, and obviously, obviously, the support act. It was a solo show. No one really knew you were gonna be there until no, like that night. Like I obviously, we changed the event page. We did say you were like opening the show and stuff, but a lot of people aren't gonna see that and things. So to actually no, see... Most people have already bought their tickets by then. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing, so... <laughs> Those last three people were fully away. <laughs> yeah, but it was cool to have them actually come to the merch stand and, you know, rec- and... recognise you as the artist you are because in the UK scene, you don't really get that that much. No. And it's cool. That's why, you know, having like us in the same conversation as the American artists who are killing it, it makes such a fucking huge difference. It was boss to see that it did in terms oh, of yeah. merch and stuff. Oh, definitely, man. Yeah. And, like, they were so nice as well. <laughs> mm. Do you know what I mean? She shouted me out at the end of his set and... Yeah. Didn't have to do that. No. Do you know what I mean? That meant a lot. Yeah. It's it's so fucking good. I'm so fucking happy for you and it was great to see, like, that reaction that, like... And it's hard because we do, like, we fought Rogues on in the round. We did, like, the Outpost yeah. event in 2019 and people kind of showed up, but the crowd last night was so diverse and it's how do we keep reaching those people is the interesting thing for me now is how do we keep them coming back yeah it was like such a widespread audience mm. like it was amazing to see but then like we spoke about this before you know maybe you have to look outside of the bubble mm. to grow you know yeah yeah but that's the interesting thing to me is I'd love to see like Sierra's analytics and insights and see where these people found her yeah because she's not on the radio no. She's not in like publications like So getting plastered all over the radio so or the three hundred people that were there yesterday found her somewhere. I, I know a lot of it when I was speaking to people at the Charlie Parr gig, because I was flyering that in May. They'd seen her on Gems on VHS and West End. Yeah. So is YouTube the platform for that if you've got yeah. that type of reach? But then how does the UK yeah. leverage that? Like my dad's a big fan and he lives on a mountain with no Wi Fi, so <laughs> So where did he find it? I'll have to ask him. Yeah. <laughs> I had such a bollocking as well. Because <laughs> he didn't know about this gig. He literally come back to visit. Mm. And I went home the day before. <laughs> I got a very angry text message. <laughs> yeah. You know. But then, like I said, he's stuck up a mountain. You didn't even know he's listening to this sort of stuff. Yeah. Because that's the thing. Because it was like, you know, there was a girl with a shaved head and a Joy Division t-shirt. Yeah. Next to a dude with like Jonathan Davis dreads. Yeah. Next to like a hipster couple. Next Some to, dude in like cargo shorts. Yeah, and a then next shirt. to a dude who's wearing a fucking Country Roads t-shirt. So it's like you had like the whole... The full spectrum of yeah. people. Every walk of life. Yeah. Except those Tories, which we discovered <laughs> early on in my set. <laughs> <laughs> I got the biggest pop. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that's the thing. And like it was even when Tyler Childers came over, it's like, where the fuck are these people hiding, man? How do you tap into that yeah. thing? But it is it's the American acts and like the Isn't legacy it? of that you've got to it's a certain amount of legitimacy as well you know? yeah we've got a stigma in this country for country music mm. people assume you're a weekend cowboy mm. and it's you know maybe a bit cheesier than what they want yeah but 
it's out there. People want that. There's a demand for it. Like you said, Cult of Wall, Tyler Childers. They're all doing really good shows here. People are coming to them. So yeah. how do we connect those dots? Yeah, I think it's we've just got a Trojan horse it in a way that's not as obvious as just like spanning links and comments. Hey. But to like actually showcase it, which is like the hardest part on it is getting in front of the American acts. And the country scene here is a small bubble. It's mm. very insular. You have to break free from that sometimes in order to grow. Mm. Like I say, country fans are so die-hard and they've all got their own idea of what country music should be. Yeah. You're not going to make any new ground, do you? You no. need to get out there amongst it. Yeah. That's the thing, man. It's like, you know, I was reading that um, I found Alan Cackett's um, articles online the other day. And yeah. I've been reading them and he was writing about the problems. same problem <laughs> the problems in the 70s like this was like an article from 1980 written in the 70s and it's the exact same issues 40 odd years later so it's like it's crazy that it's stagnated for that long yeah man like I say if you've got a vested interest a lot of artists book clubs and stuff like that yeah they do a circuit and they can earn a full time living from that yeah so they're not gonna wanna rock the apple cart in mm. order to grow the scene yeah say it's become very insular very you know, central to what they're doing. And yeah, you have to spread your wings and get out. Yeah. Say rock bars, man. Yeah, rock bars. I've I've always found rock bars to be like the better place because Did on Friday, so yeah. open minded, so welcoming. Yeah. They appreciate good music. Yeah. I think like because rock fans and like obviously as a rock and metal fan, you have like you love fucking A C D C and then you'll go to like Johnny Cash. Yeah. Then you go to like Robert Johnson, but then you'll go to like Led Zeppelin, Sabbath, Metallica. And you have like, I think a metal and a rock fan does have a wider scope of yeah. music. While a country music fan, stereotypically and for the most part, is like, I will listen to George Jones and people that sound like George Jones, yeah. and that is country music. And or then I will listen to Keith Urban. <laughs> yeah, and then someone will be like, oh, well, I listen to Keith Urban and like, you know, post 2000s. <laughs> like, and that is my country music. And there's everyone's like dying on a hill for country music instead of embracing the yeah. spectrum and obviously like we give pop country a lot of shit rightfully so but you know I don't even think we do that <laughs> not, not anymore but no. I think like we we don't give it the time of day that like no, it doesn't but, interest because me. it's not our thing so at least we're open minded up to that point because that's got such like a massive push yeah fuck we don't need to do anything with that it's the other side of the spectrum we need to do but a lot of people plant their flag on the pop country side of things and then dismiss everything, everything else. else. While like rock fans will give more shit a chance. Yeah. They say they're there for the music. They appreciate artistry. Yeah. The amount of times I feel I didn't think I'd like country music, but this is great. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, the, it's the image of it as well, man. I think that's what puts off. Maybe it's like a British thing. Yeah. But I think the Americanized, like super American image, like the patriotic. But then I think... Um, that sort of crowd appreciate the honesty as well mm. and storytelling and yeah yeah they say they're not going to like pop of any genre are they yeah but at least with something like this they can be more open minded and take it in yeah so they've always done quite well at these sort of events and mm. it's a way to grow I think mm. yeah no definitely I think this is because if you look at how American artists get established now they work the small honky tonks and the small bars and stuff for a while yeah. but then they'll you know they'll stick the head up of the parapet and it's kind of like you know five degrees of separation so like someone will get the attention of like a slightly bigger act then that slightly bigger act will get the attention of another bigger act and it all boils down to basically i think 
80 to 90% of the major country artists we know and love have played with Willie Nelson or Chris Christopherson. Yeah. And that's like the type of legacy that we don't have in the UK where no. you don't get to see artists get brought up to those bigger venues by bigger artists because there's no bigger artists in the UK to go through. No. It used to happen mm. back in the 60s. Yeah. yeah. But things have changed. Yeah, that's the thing, man, because I've got a record downstairs from Phil Brady in the Ranches who was like a Liverpool country artist back in the day. He opened for Buck Owens. He yeah. opened for Willie Nelson in like the Liverpool Empire and shit like that. He opened for fucking huge American acts. But and so people sort of took it to themselves and yeah. that's where it died. Yeah. <laughs> and we just don't have that type of legacy. And so now we need to, you know, Sierra's coming over, get a UK artist in there. Nick Shoulders coming you over, see, get a UK artist in there. But we're not reliant on the existing thing. We're sort no. of trying to create something new. Mm. And I think that's the way forward to do it yourself and just you got to try and use like mm. what's the alternative? Yeah, a lot of people moan that nothing's happening, nothing's coming. But unless somebody gets it in their head to take it upon themselves and try, mm. at least try to do something, then nothing's ever gonna happen. Mm. Put that energy into doing something. Yeah. 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 Takes a lot of energy to be negative. Turn it around. Do yeah. something about it. Because that's like rogue country came from fucking. You know, we weren't getting a look in on the established UK scene. No. So we were like, fuck it. Yeah, man. And we did our own thing and we bypassed all those things and, you know, I think we're, we're doing okay with it. Doing pretty, pretty good. <laughs> especially, <laughs> especially after last night, we've done alright with it. But I know what you mean, man. Like, my first single, I fretted about not being country enough because yeah. it's quite softer than what mm. my other stuff is. And then the first review I had on it is, oh, this is far too country, I won't get any sort of mainstream <laughs> yeah. play. Like, I fretted about that, man. <laughs> I was so worried it was going to be too pop and no yeah. one would like it on the country scene. Yeah. Only to be told it was too country and it's never going to work. Yeah. But that's the thing, man, because when I started out, I tried to, you know, get my name in front of the right people on the UK scene. Yeah. And I was headbutting a fucking wall for like two years until, you know, I kind of like, we met in 2019. And so that was like two, three years in from what I was doing. And it was like, we're trying to impress fucking five percent of yeah. the people who think you so it's just you can bypass those folks and try and just fucking connect with people on a one-to-one yeah. -one basis i've always like for a long time like i say when you first start out you don't know any better and you're mm. trying to get ahead but i very soon realized that you need to be part of the scene yeah. but not like completely on the scene yeah do you know what i mean you can be involved with it but don't make that your whole career. Yeah. Because you just got nowhere to go from there. No, and that's... Even if you look at the biggest names in the UK scene at the moment, they aren't. No. They aren't fucking touring regularly. They aren't, like, breaking, you know, international markets. They aren't touring big venues. So no. it's like, what are you actually achieving from doing it? Exactly. Yeah, but... Another thing as well, like we say about the country scene, there's, like, three or four different smaller scenes under yeah. one umbrella. It's not, like, one whole scene. No. You don't really see mixed bills. It just seems to be the same couple of faces doing yeah. the same couple of venues. And how do you expect to grow and draw new people in if yeah. you're only catering to the given crowd? Yeah, no, totally, man. It seems to be like just 50 fans and it's just passing the same 20 quid around each other. Yeah, each other. yeah it was crazy. Yeah. But, you know, so if we travel back from the sold out show with Sierra Ferro, that was last <laughs> night, if we travel back from that, Let's go to the very origin story of Josh Bettis. So, when did you first pick up a guitar? Um, originally, 
tried laying in drums because mm. my dad's a drummer. Yeah, the thing is, your family's quite musical, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, the whole family plays, and when I was small, my dad got me a drum kit. Then he tried to teach me to play the drums, but we're both stubborn as hell, and we butt heads straight <laughs> away, so I sort of picked the guitar up for spite. Mm. <laughs> and I haven't really looked back. Mm. You know, I've been in various different bands, you know, in a metal band when I was like a teenager, because I think that's most people's gateway yeah. into music. <laughs> You know, fresh out of school, playing some heavy and loud stuff with your buddies. Mm. Yeah, I took a bit of a break then for like a couple of years. Mm. Couldn't get anything going. And um, nearly give up on it. And mm. then I auditioned for a soul band. <laughs> Didn't get it. <laughs> but that band broke up and we formed a rockabilly band out of a few of the guys from yeah. that. Which was with my dad as well. Mm. And we did that for a while. <coughs> and then um, got to a point where I just wanted to do my own thing. Mm. No compromises. Started writing a few songs and um, just went from there, really. Mm. Um, was it... I haven't co- actually been at this solo act for very long. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you discount COVID, it's not been that long, has it? No, two like years of just stalling. Two years out and two years at home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but was country music what you listened to? Like, did you get brought up on it or was it like more the like rock side of things when you were younger? Um, so my dad was big into soul music and mm. rockabilly and stuff like that. But um, I spent a lot of time at my grandparents' house. Yeah. And I always remember my granddad would be potting around the kitchen, pulling old mowers apart or like fixing <laughs> watches. Well, I say fixing, he just pull them apart. <laughs> um, and it'd always be country music on the background. Mm. You know, Hank Williams, Don Williams. But he was a big Charlie Pride fan. Yeah. Marty Robbins. And that was always in the background. Mm. And um, I think it just sunk deeper than I ever realised. Mm. Yeah. Cool. I wrote my first song after my nan passed away, and it, that was the first one I released. And mm. What song was that? At the end of the day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. I remember writing that in my kitchen. I wasn't even, you know, planning on recording it. And then a few other songs followed and mm. started hitting open mic nights to try them out and just went from there, really. Mm. And was that kind of like that song? Because obviously you did the Rockabilly Band. Was that the thought process of like obviously doing covers, being in bands that like you enjoyed doing but it wasn't like did you feel it wasn't a true representation of what you wanted to do yeah mm. like I said when I started writing these songs it was very different mm. and um say so I enjoyed it we had some really good fun we did some fantastic gigs and they're, they're a great bunch of guys as well mm. they were a lot, lot older than me so I learned a lot from doing it yeah but um it wasn't 100% me mm. even though we enjoyed it but you gotta do what you love and you and I'm passionate about country yeah. music no, that makes sense, man. It's one of those things, and like, you know, I like obviously I play a fucking bastardized version of country music, um. But what you do, I really fucking, you know, I've said this before, and obviously we, because we met January twenty nineteen yeah. at um Devizes, uh, in the round thing. Uh, the Ameripolitan Club. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed your songs then, and then you know you had one. When did you release one for Sorrow? That's a good question. I'm terrible. But that dates. must have been around. That must have been mid 2019. Because I don't think you had it at the. No, I think it was after that though. Yeah. I didn't have it. The had the songs ready. Yeah. But um, I don't think it was released till like later on. Mm. So I'm terrible with dates. I don't remember mm. nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Anything to do with numbers, my brain goes blank. Mm. But that's the thing. Like obviously, I do my weird thing. You hear people kind of doing variations but what i really enjoyed about you is like the same thing it's like i because like this is like british country music and it's like hey. most like almost traditional neo-traditional sense 
and that's why I thought you were a really good pairing yeah. with Sierra because she's got that like country jazz yeah you sort of mix what you love you take your influences and mix them all up and see Mm. what comes up but with um with her stuff being like on like the western af and gems on vhs channels a lot of that is more like the traditional sound and stuff of hers yeah so if that's what the crowd first listened to that's why i thought you'd fit really fucking well with this yeah so i've taken it back to those gems days with just acoustic guitar yeah 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 well with one for sorrow so you recorded the five tracks on that and you when did you go into because obviously COVID's kind of fucked everything up yeah when did you start going in for the new record um we started just after the regulations started getting a bit easier mm. then we stopped because we went back down <laughs> then we started again and then we stopped and then we started again um still ongoing um my brother's rebuilding his studio he's just upgraded everything yeah so we're just waiting for that to get plumbed back in before we can get back to work on that. Cool, man. And how many tracks have you got down so far? <coughs> I think we've, like, half finished about seven. Mm. Yeah, we've sent off for different session weeks on some songs. Nothing's completely finished yet. No. And how many are you looking at doing for the record? We're literally recording everything. Like, every song that isn't released, we're doing. Yeah. So we're going to do the album. There's going to be some singles. I might put, like, an EP out if yeah. something fits together. Round them. But we're, we're doing a lot. I'm just trying to build the best possible album out of mm. that. Um, we're looking to get one of my new songs out straight away. Just because um, I really like it and I think it's relevant. Yeah. And it um, went out really well last night, which is a good indicator. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, man. We're going to... Yeah record the lot and just see what happens and yeah. cool man because like he's got some fantastic guys working on it yeah, that's the thing because obviously we've talked about like the one for sorrow is a great ep but you think this new album's more representative of your actual sound and oh definitely you but what was the process behind like was it right in one for sorrow that you realized these songs like that you wrote after that one more you or what was the like what was your thought process when you realised I you... never wrote One for Sorrow as an EP mm. I wanted to record an EP and those songs were the oddballs of the bunch and I also thought they'd work better stripped down because mm. I didn't have a big budget most of my money went on the recording process and I um, couldn't actually afford like session musicians mm. or anything like that so they were a bit more of a folky edge to them which works I think better stripped down mm. and um I also thought it'd be a good chance to showcase like my voice without putting a load of production on. Yeah. So a lot of factors went into that EP, but so it's always been my dream to do a big full band country honky tonk album. Yeah. And like I said, we've got some fantastic players on it, and I don't give much um, instruction. Mm. So I like to see what they come up with. You know, I chose these guys for a reason. Yeah. I'm not going to micromanage them. Just I send them the tracks, tell them to have fun with it, and. Been a great process so far, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the mandolin tracks we had back within an hour. He <laughs> just, you know, and he had a good guitar track as well. So, and um, Stephen Hicken Jr. is on the steel, and he's just absolutely just above and beyond yeah. every single time, just because he, he he's enjoy playing on it. He likes the songs. He believes in the project. Mm-hmm. Um, hope he doesn't mind me saying that because I'm sort of speaking for him at the minute. But <laughs> that's yeah. just how it's been. It's been fun. Yeah. Good fun. Like like friends working on a project. Yeah. And I've been very, very lucky. They're all talented guys, and I'm really excited to start getting stuff out. Wow, man! And it's just mainly like the drums and your brother and stuff. That's the final piece in the puzzle, really, to get those laid down, and then a few more session musicians 
to get them rounded off. Or... Um, we've still got some guide tracks to do. <clears throat> um, we're almost up to date with the drums and bass. So we do it in sections, see how the, the feel of the song will go before we send it off to the other guys. So like I'll do my parts mm. and then we put rhythm section in together. So we do drum and bass at the same time so they can mm. sort of vibe off each other and get a groove in. And then it'll go off like for lead and flowering up. And Sick, man. So I've got lots of little unfinished projects <laughs> ready to just put the finishing touches yeah. on, but you have to get plumbed in and back on the road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are there any either like contemporary or modern influences or like traditional influences that you had in mind when you were writing and recording this of like how you wanted it to sound? Not necessarily like copying their styles and things, but yeah. people who have influenced you for this record? I'd say a lot of people have influenced um I think it's important that you can tell who the influences are. Mm. How many times you know I'm a big Johnny Cash fan and then they play Mr. Brightside. <laughs> yeah. I think it's important to look back and then bring it forward. Yeah. Say there's so many brilliant modern acts now that are doing stuff that I really appreciate and like. Mm. You know, like Jesse Daniels, yeah. um, you know, Sierra Farrell, Hannah Winita, Nick Shoulders, Vincent Neil Emerson, mm. Joshua E. Walker, yeah. Charlie Crockett. I, I wouldn't say the influence of records as such, but we do have like a book of references from like classic acts and modern acts mm. that um sort of inspire the production side of things when we're mixing and stuff like that. Mm. And uh, yeah, there's certain tones or licks and yeah, just like I said, looking back and paying it forward. So. Yeah, yeah. No, right on, man. And with, do you have an idea of when this is going to be finished or when you might have a single release date for the new young, new one you want to do? I don't know how long we're going to be recording so like I say it's been ongoing for like pretty much for the whole of lockdown at mm. the minute hopefully when things are back up and running we'll just smash it out now because mm. I, I know everyone's super keen to get to work on it um, so yeah as soon as we can get back to work hopefully we should start having something out this mm. year hopefully mm. not in a rush though like I said we're trying to build the best album we can yeah. out of what we've got just see what happens yeah. no, that makes, yeah. I don't like structural rules or anything like that <laughs> or time <It's>, schedules no <laughs> it is what it is and I just want to put the best thing out I can possibly do yeah no that makes total sense man and I think like the new one you're talking about which you played last night which is like about the cost of living and stuff yeah. like that that's a really fun one I think to get out like it's quick we've talked about this week well, it's know. relevant isn't it yeah. everyone's feeling it everyone's going through it <clears throat> yeah you can relate to that yeah and uh yeah man it's important to talk about these things mm. yeah. too many people shy away from being like involved with politics as an artist <laughs> but then everything you do is politics so not being involved in politics because you're an artist is being political yeah you know saying nothing is worse than saying something mm. <laughs> yeah no totally man it's probably like if you don't want to rock the boat that's probably the most political move you can make yeah. <laughs> you, you know my fucking yeah. you know my fucking stance on it like the, uh, you have a voice yeah you know. look at all your heroes they like they were outlaws for a reason they didn't take shit they didn't bite their tongues they mm. said what they meant you know be yourself that's all you can do yeah. you need to build a genuine connection with people and they're not going to do that if you're blowing smoke up their ass no and if if, yeah. you, if you somehow for some reason make some people walk out of a gig Biker bar. <laughs> that was brilliant. Made my day. I don't care what those guys thought. <laughs> yeah. But that's the man. Like I fucking. It depends what mood I'm in. To be honest, yeah. how much I go in on a rant. I generally think it's better to have a small fan base that gives a shit than a yeah. large one that doesn't. Yeah, hundred percent. So you can only get that by being authentic and being yourself, and 
just being honest to people this genre especially like thrives on honesty mm. faking it till you make it is bollocks mm. and you know it might get you a bump to start with but eventually people see through yeah. it because then like i always like i always kind of went in from the mindset of you know i'll go on stage because i wrote a like new song so I wrote that to be political and I'm yeah. happy to go on stage and say that but I think you have to do that early on and yeah. get used to doing it early on because if you don't and then like you say something six years later everyone's like what the fuck yeah. since when have you been political you miss the opportunity to get people used to it Yeah. and people don't even like see if you do it early on and like you're just honest this is what I'm about then you're going to get that right crowd to you to start with Yeah. like I said it's not going to be a shock and no one's going to get offended because yeah. they know that's what you're about yeah but then it baffles me when people don't even think because like I've said I've said this before where it's like if you're singing about like the cost of living yeah. or your hometown being a dump and like being derelict and run down that's their political decisions that impacted yeah. that I remember I talked at Charles Willie Godden on the podcast and he has songs about like his town being in ruin and we talked about it we didn't you know call out fucking the Republicans or the Democrats who were running it no. we were just talking about how it's a uh, societal issue and people were commenting it's on an his, observation like, like it's yeah. happening it's relevant you yeah. can't pretend it's not because yeah. you might get a few extra streams yeah but people were commenting <laughs> being like I didn't expect this talk to get so political so fast it was like he has a song about like yeah. people building furniture on the side of the road to try and get jobs like what how is that not yeah how is that not relevant to what you're talking about yeah it's it's crazy what people are that song's come from somewhere yeah he hasn't just plucked it out of thin ears yeah but, yeah, yeah fucking crazy but you know going back from the recordings so you've you've been doing this for four years roughly now so yeah, 2018 four or five-ish yeah. something like that you started off with open mics where what was like the first reception when you started playing these like folky country songs at open mics to be honest you, most open mics near us has got like friendly people that attend them they're always supportive of each other mm. so yeah it, I've always had a lot of encouragement from people mm. Um, doesn't work necessarily well in like pub situations, no. but there are certain ones I will do. Mm. Again, as an artist, you should be self-aware and like try not to put yourself in these situations. Yeah, you got to try and put your best foot forward. You know, I've had this conversation with Bookers before, and when we play like a sports bar, <laughs> it's not going to work. Nobody's getting what they wanted. Uh, the audience won't be happy. You won't be happy. You're not putting your best foot forward. Yeah. So. Be self aware and just do, do yourself a favour, innit? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah there's, there's a difference. You don't have to do every gig just because it's offered to you. No, there's a difference between paying your dues and just playing shit gigs. Yeah. Say you've got bills to pay and you need to do some shitty gigs to pay the bills. Yeah. Fair play to like, but. That's the thing. If it, if again, that's... most people will change this set list to suit that. Yeah. And, you know, they say read the room on it. Yeah. And then from open mics, what what do you think or consider to be like your first like proper gig outside of the open mic scene do you remember it <laughs> I've told you about this earlier and the first ones I did I got booked in between like five Elvis tributes <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> you want somebody to sort of break up with it there's a that's a lot of Elvises mm. so I did on a what happened to a half hour set mm. <laughs> also did a St. Patrick's Day set which was like a mixture of Irish songs and like my own mm. um, so I used to do a lot of Irish folk Mm. Um, so yeah those are like the early days <laughs> but say I didn't have many songs and I just wanted to play my own music so I take support slots or I 
book somebody else alongside with me or do festivals or showcases yeah. where you didn't need to do a lot of material just to get experience and, yeah you know going from a five-piece rockabilly band to a solo acoustic mm-hmm. was a hell of a shock to the system yeah like, i remember going up my first time doing it thinking oh this would be easy i've played for like the last year or so and getting up there and just feeling so alone and exposed mm. yeah <laughs> you suddenly get up there and you realize like fuck there's no one else up here yeah everyone's sitting and watching because it's acoustic mm. so that was that was a shock mm. <laughs> it took a long time to get over that sort of nerves as well mm. whole different beast yeah no it's crazy when you go from because obviously i was in like a metal band to go from that to a solo thing was just like terrifying to be like oh so i'm i have to sing properly not scream and i'm not <laughs> fucking hiding behind tons of distortion on my guitar it's such a shock to the system <laughs> that's it man like if you're doing those sort of gigs as well you can sort of hide behind the sound yeah you create this wall of sound and mm. if people are actually listening to every note you're playing like mm. listening events are crazy yeah people will just sit dead close and steer you out and you don't know if it's going well or not no. until you finish the song. <laughs> mm. yeah. And then from you know the Elvis five uh, yeah. five Elvis night. What did you do then? Obviously there was the COVID break. You've come out of that and you've been doing some cool like you did like country on the coast. Yeah. Things like that. So has it been picking up? Because obviously you said you were writ off this year, but you've been getting some fucking cool gigs for the. A lot of stuff has just rolled over since mm. lockdown. Like it was supposed to happen, and they just kept rolling on and postponing and. It's lucky that a lot of things did postpone instead of just cancel. Yeah. But say venues are closing and stuff, so lucky still have the gigs they have, and then they've managed to pick a few up since things have packed in. But say it felt a little bit like starting again, mm. but then all of a sudden it changed and um, things feel different this time for some reason. Mm. Um, really, really enjoying it. Like most musicians during the lockdown, I felt like quitting a bunch yeah. of times and you know. The first one was easy and having the home and productive. Oh, we're going to be so productive. <laughs> and I was writing songs and practicing. Mm. And then fatigue hit in. I got sick of fucking looking at the car. I didn't mm. pick my guitar up for months. Sick of scrolling the internet. Didn't really get involved with much music at all. Mm. But then I think being in that situation for so long just fatigued the more people out, you know? Yeah. So I had a little rest from it and um, coming back fresh. And yeah. like say, things are happening and it feels good and done some pretty cool shows already this year mm. and uh, looking forward to seeing where this is going <laughs> yeah man I think the fatigue got real because you know when because 2020 we'd been talking about for road country you know doing a radio show yeah. looking at more online stuff anyway it was a weird thing because obviously the podcast kicked off in 2020 we were looking at the radio show and stuff and then it was oh shit we have to go digital yeah and I think we hit it pretty fucking hard for like the first half of 2020 yeah. up to like the winter and then the fatigue did creep in was there anything because obviously you talked about like thinking about packing it and stuff was it just like the comfort of being at home and not having to yeah just the thought of like getting back out and driving long hours and <laughs> dealing with people man I yeah. went proper <clears> here <throat> just love chilling out like I'd light a fire and just chill out on mm. my own and then enjoyed the quiet and I really didn't feel like just going back out there seemed like a chore mm. so I wasn't even listening to music very much sort of fell out of love with yeah. like music in general mm. no, I did the exact same thing I uh, was like it just it became hard work. Yeah. it felt like work yeah and I, I just wanted to do other stuff you know I'd start walking the dogs and spend the time with the kids and mm. you know 
that was good for the soul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They say like the music industry is a weird and hard thing to do anyway. Mm. So I think the break did me good, mm. but at the time I could have quite happily like never come back to this. Mm. But um, here we are, onwards and upwards, and yeah. got a new breath of life back in me to. Yeah. Was there anything in particular about, like, obviously, because you already had stuff rolled over? Was there anything in your head that you were like, oh well, this will like what like kickstarted your motivation into get you back into the game again, or was it just um, like recording, you, getting yeah. a chance to record? I didn't think I'd ever afford to be able to do a full album anyway. Mm. Then um, my brother went digital during the lockdown because he's a drummer and he was doing remote and session work mm. and stuff from like online. So he set up a studio and he's like, well, do you want to be my guinea pig? Get in <laughs> and we'll just like play around to see what we can do. Mm. So getting in the recording and like hearing my songs come to life, like yeah. it's completely different with a full band behind it, and you sort of watch these songs develop into like the true potential. And I remember saying like even the throwaway songs that I used as just set fillers yeah. have just blown my mind like <laughs> with a full band behind it, and that really just made me excited to put stuff out. Yeah. And um, I wanted to start playing again, and yeah, man, I definitely owe it to doing that sort of thing. And, mm. If you played for my brother, like I would have never done this without him. Mm. He's really thrown me a lifeline here, and I'd say it's been an absolute fucking pleasure. Mm. We had some great session guys working on it with us as well. It's just, it's been so much fun. Mm. Like I said, being acoustic most of the time, you know, you don't get to see these full potentials. You do mm. it acoustically, and yeah. you realise what you throw in to try and compensate for a lack of lead and. When you get a full band behind you, you get to sort of think about the production things. Yeah. And I like working out what I'm going to do next of it. I'll take my tracks and sort of produce it in my head first and then sort of decide what I'm going to do with it. Yeah. So cool. it's just fun. It's like, um, yeah, just give everything you meaning again. Mm. So, man, who are the session musicians? Have you talked about Stephen Hicken Jr. on uh, the pedal steel? Stephen Hicken Jr., uh, Dave Luke's done some mandolin and a guitar track for me. And he was at the gig last night, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah, he? he was there last night, man. It was really good to see him. Um, fantastic player. Mm. Really, really good. Um, plays like Clint Bradley and Vera mm. Van Herrigan and Ian Calford. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, getting him on there as well. And for him to be excited, is, you know, he's been around a while and mm. he's done some pretty cool stuff. So to get him on board and, like, excited about the tracks really meant a lot to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, people like that, like I say, people you look up to on the scene and like they're working with you on a project. Yeah, just incredible. Uh, we got John Roger on guitar. He's my old guitar teacher and a very good friend of mine. Mm. Anything I always like to have him involved in a project and yeah, you know, absolute gentleman. Mm. Um, got Phil Corney then doing the bass. Um, again, very good friend of mine and played in a few bands with different mm. places. He's doing all the bass and. You'll never laugh so much as when you're doing anything with Phil. He's an absolute header and I love <laughs> it. Just rattling off jokes. Like, it's a wonder you got any work done. <laughs> and was a lot of it done, like, was all of it done remotely or have you had a chance to play with, like... No, we, had, we did the drums and bass together in the studio. Yeah, so that was done live. Yeah. So, like, my brother Jack's on the drums, obviously, and then Phil will come in and they'd sort of work out what they're going to do and then play it together. Mm. So that was really good. I think they got through like a bottle of whiskey between them last time and <laughs> nice. <laughs> I was driving. <laughs> so we just laughed the whole time. It just, mm. I'm sure there's loads of just outtakes of just absolute nonsense on there. Yeah, Wait, I slip it like, in there as a sample here or there. Or... Yeah, you'll have to do like an Alison self where it's like yeah. the skits are in between it. 
Yeah. A lot of sketchy Lewis Capaldi impressions <laughs> just become a running joke for no reason. <laughs> yeah. Cool, man. And so you got seven, don't you said you're recording everything? How yeah. many is everything? I think like between 15 and 17, I think. Nice. I haven't checked the list for a while, but mm. obviously I keep adding to it as well. <laughs> so yeah, went like a 10 track album and then singles or EPs mm. or whatever and see what happens from there but say you want to do the best record I can put together so yeah we're not going to really plan anything until it's done and we can sort of pick what's going to fit with what and yeah. really plan it out that way yeah cool man and live what's the plan because obviously you were talking about a trio yeah at some point is that still going ahead at some point when you can I'd like to mm. um, it's just getting the time yeah. um, say the Rob, who played fiddle with me, he's still king, and he's going to do some session work when we uh, start work on the EP again. Mm. But ideally, I'd like to get the uh, the album recorded first, mm. and then see how we play it live will be different to how we record it. Yeah, because obviously I'm not going to have a full band, so we'll have to change it for live. And I don't really want to overdo things and try and do too many projects at once. Yeah, so half the battle is like you can't take too much on. It's better to try and do things well than. Yeah do everything at once and mm. end up burning yourself out yeah no after seeing Sierra's trio last night yeah. I, I need to find a double bass player bass player and country music is the absolute backbone and I've said this so many times people always look for like the obvious stuff but a good bass player will make or break that sound yeah and then obviously talking about a live trio what you're going to be doing live what have you got booked in coming up for the rest of 2022 yeah, yeah we're in 2022 yeah. I got a couple of festivals um, doing Rustic <clears throat> Stomp Review and like Mark J. Lee and that's going to be such Edens. a fucking fun hang it's going to be such a good hang like the lineup's absolutely killer mm. that's a lot of acts that I like on the scene all in one place so mm. it's going to be a hell of a weekend mm. so yeah, like a few festivals now um, and see what else comes my way I don't think I've got like too much in the book mm. I know off the top of my head I'm going to be doing um, the acoustic buzz of Blind River Ski mm. so that's always a good one cool uh, um, got cancelled last time so it'd be nice to get out and yeah. do that but um, got the Kutch Festival in St David's that's going to be good mm. that's um, Martin Harley and stuff like that so, oh cool yeah. yeah some more cool acts mm. yeah because yeah, that's the cool thing about yesterday was getting to see fucking obviously Brandon Ridley yeah yeah came up Jackson Ward was there who's a great new guy on the scene uh, there was a few people there and it did it felt nice to have like a rogue event yeah where people kind of knew each other and you could like chat to people it was cool to after have like so long being yeah, it's like building that community vibe yeah. it's, you know, we're all on the same boat we're trying to help each other and yeah. it's just great to see these guys out and about yeah no, you know, as a fan first and foremost like what a show yeah like as a fan of the music my set aside like getting to see that masterclass mm. all super talented multi-instrumentalists and yeah yeah. yeah the sound check alone for them was insane yeah and it's I felt bad for you having to follow the sound check yeah <laughs> that's why I started getting nervous man they were so good and I was like oh would you like to do yours like fuck yeah the, the way they just broke into that three part harmony yeah no pitch just... just straight into it and <laughs> so professional yeah they say the fiddle player just come in and start jamming the guitar and then like wandered off again it's like the fuck yeah <laughs> they say they all play so many instruments and they all sort of swapped and yeah it was a masterclass. class mm. yeah. yeah 
the two musicians of that level in Birkenhead. In Birkenhead. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the, that's the crazy thing is fucking I booked this in ages ago and I, I got pissed at the fucking amount of shit people were saying online because yeah. it originally I'm, yeah I get that it was in a fucking pub in Birkenhead but that's what the venue was going to be it was going to be a hundred capacity venue underneath the Swinging Arm Rock Pub and I really liked that place and to have people commenting being like oh why is it in a like because I fucking booked it lad I fucking booked it <laughs> and that's where I had it and then even to move it from uh, the Swinging Arm to Future Yard and Future Yard's a phenomenal venue yeah it's a great venue it's so fucking nice all the staff are amazing like I said and they looked after you so much and a mm. really nice vibe in there and yeah lovely venue one yeah. of the best venues I've played yeah but it's weird that like obviously obviously it's not Liverpool which is only 10 minutes away it's not Manchester or anything yeah. but like I said when we were walking to Savers with Sierra I was like behind like the car park we were walking past used to be Stairways and Iron Maiden and White Zombie played there yeah so bands have played in Birkenhead it's just it needs a venue and someone willing to bring them yeah. and that's what I was really fucking hyped for was having someone like Sierra come to my hometown. It was a fucking insane. Yeah, man. Like I said, if you build it, they will come. And yeah. There's a set new. I think it's a relatively new thing where people only want to do like major cities. Yeah. And you can sort of understand the logic behind that, but just because it's somewhere else doesn't mean it's going to be bad. No. Yeah. Last night was proof of that. It was a fantastic venue, great atmosphere. Yeah. Everyone enjoyed it. The show was killer. Mm. Still blow my mind. I honestly couldn't speak for like an hour afterwards. Just... <laughs> you couldn't speak before either, man. No. The only thing we got out of you for the entire night was what a world. What a world. <laughs> <laughs> it started off like as a brain fart and then it just becomes like a running joke. It's <laughs> like a dog with a bone. It's like, what do you say, man? How often do you get to play a fucking sold out show with Sierra Ferrell? Yeah. I'm just a fat lad from Wales who writes songs in his kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> what a world. <laughs> what a world. <laughs> But that's that's the thing, man, and I wish more people would take not necessarily a risk to book American bands and stuff, but if you want someone to play your area, yeah. It it's normally an email to find out <laughs> if you can. It's not hard. Like all I did was actually shout out to Chris Dover who's just released It's a Difficult World, which is a phenomenal record. But he told me because I had John R. Miller and JP Harris was meant to play Birkenhead. So I was already talking to their agent about that gig. And Chris was in talks to book Sierra for Bradford. That fell through. But while that fell through, I was talking to them. Yeah. And they still wanted a Northwest date. So it, I happened to be that date. But all that was, was I sent one email to her booking agent being like... Yeah, like all you do is ask. Yeah. The worst will happen. You won't hear back off anyone. Yeah. But <laughs> normally if someone's booking a tour, they want to fill them dates. Yeah. And they want to get paid. That's it. So they will nine times out of ten respond to you because even I've been sending like preemptive emails for next year to say an RSI like, and I've had a reply back from all their agents because it's a fucking yeah. gig and it's money on the table. So if you want to book something in your hometown, all you have to do is find out their booking agent info, which is on their website. And and book a venue. Yeah. Which most will do in exchange for cash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and obviously it's risks and stuff, but the risk is super minimized when it's an American artist people want to yeah. see. Like I say, they got that history and legitimacy about them and 
like I said, hearing that band play, man, you realise that like, we're only borrowing this genre from them. Like that was something else. Mm. <laughs> I just think, like they just totally know what they're about. Yeah. And like I think if you had a trio, we'd be saying the same thing about you. I think yeah. it's just again, it's giving someone that opportunity and seeing them in that light. You go, holy fuck! Obviously. Sierra and her band is like lightning in a bottle and yeah. it's not diminishing how fucking talented they are she's but definitely at the front of our generation of yeah. you know, songwriters and stuff totally man how fast she's blown up is a fucking you know a... but then she's been at this for years like, yeah. it appears she's come out of nowhere but she's put a lot of groundwork in yeah, yeah. I think it is like 8 or 10 years since she's been actively playing and yeah. you know going for it and it's in you know the, I think the first Gems on VHS video was three or four years ago yeah so it's a lot of time and energy and effort has been putting on it so she's fucking worked her ass off for that's it. another thing though like you can't get down about things that are happening straight away everything takes work yeah you gotta work away and chip at it and just because it seems like it's happened overnight it fucking hasn't no you know you've gotta work hard and keep at it and so you'll have ups you'll have downs mm. but you gotta keep going to get anyway yeah but no but Sierra was fucking insane last night that voice was just fucking in nuts uh, a proper spam me out walking around Baconhead with Sierra Farrell and going into savers <laughs> yeah <laughs> to look for organic shampoos yeah it's, you know it's like what a world what a world indeed <laughs> but yeah like that I did proper laugh though he's like oh you're coming to see the sights and then we went to savers <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. This historic savers is older than America. <laughs> <laughs> More than likely, but it is one of those things where if you book it, hopefully people will fucking show up with artists like that. If you like, if you're listening to this and you do want to book an American artist or someone you're a fan of, obviously I'm not talking about trying to book fucking Tyler Childers or Stage or Simpson or someone you know insanely massive. But if someone's on their first UK tour or hasn't toured yeah. the UK yet it's worth an email it's worth a punt but, definitely yeah and then they, like I say they usually come back they play somewhere bigger and it just grows from there yeah that'll be the interesting thing to see what Sierra does next because yeah. it's gonna be academies and but she's already next, talking about coming back yeah yeah that'll be obviously I guarantee it'll be bigger next time mm, totally and we just need you on the whole tour support then ideal <laughs> that would be the dream <laughs> yeah yeah cool well we'll start wrapping this up because you've got a four and a half hour drive back yeah but have you got anything else you want to tell the people about that you've got going on yeah man I think we've pretty much covered everything covered everything I said my brain hasn't really kicked back in yet either so Mm. I'm sure there's something I'm missing but yeah I'm too happy and content in my life at the minute to really pull that out my ass (laughs) like fucking hell man last night was fucking nuts like it it didn't sink in because obviously I've it's been on the books for so long that it was just like is this actually and then it was like when they walked on stage yeah like I got fucking choked up because of like it fucking it happened man it came together yeah and like I had that moment with the sound checks like holy shit this is real yeah. this, this is gonna happen yeah because <laughs> we were sat in the dressing room and it was like do you wanna go for a wonder like, yeah and I was like I think they're about to sound check and we just fucking <laughs> scarf it out <laughs> yeah but yeah man like yeah. I always say during my shows though you can follow me on Facebook just don't follow me to my car <laughs> <laughs> no but like yeah um, it's cool to see that like you've had a bit of a boost already on your socials and things from last Mate, night people are like 
on their phones hit and follow whilst I was on stage. Like, yeah. My phone was going nuts in my pocket and then <laughs> I checked it when I got off. It was like all these new follows and you could see the fuckers in front of you. Like, yeah. It was crazy. Right on, man. Yeah. yeah. I say, like, I haven't had much time to check it today. Yeah. Just been soaking it in and enjoying it and yeah. we'll see what comes next. Yeah. Totally, man. Well, what a world. <laughs> My first real question is how dare you? <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> Lure me into your van under these pretenses. No man, it's weird. I was talking to like Phil yesterday. I was talking to Jumbo because this is only the third time we've actually met in real life. Thank God for that. <laughs> Three too many, some might say. But isn't it weird that, like, because we've known each other three years, four years? Yeah, one a year, that's plenty. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to spoil Max you. <laughs> but it's just weird how, like, relationships form over the internet, and, like, it's it's creepy in a way. Really creepy. Yeah. It's, like, stalking, but it's okay. Yeah, but it's, like, because we wouldn't be talking to, like, Luke Hendrickson or anyone. No. Either if we didn't have the... It's a really weird thing now where it's like meeting strangers on the internet's a good thing nowadays. Yeah, man. Like, look around that venue. It's like I could see people from Facebook that I've never spoken to before. Yeah. And it's like, fuck it. I'm sure I know him from somewhere. <laughs> and then, you know, you sort of picture it with like a filter or something on it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he had cat ears last time I seen him. <laughs> and yeah, it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just weird to see like those relationships because it's like obviously I've only seen you like this third time but we talk like every day every day without fail yeah in fact my phone broke that week and everyone was worried <laughs> <laughs> and like you and Alex panic texted me like are you okay yeah <laughs> smash my phone man yeah. that's the thing it's just like if you go off the grid but it's just weird how like in this day and age those relationships like Pumas of and Alex I've met once yeah man and that was very briefly during a festival thing so we didn't even Same. I didn't know him really properly then but again like spoken every day since yeah it's metal, man. If you click with someone, you click. Yeah. And then there's also you. I <laughs> just wedged myself into yeah. it. Please pay attention <laughs> to you Just keep guys. showing up. Yeah. Like I'll book gigs. Like a tear that won't flush. Yeah. <laughs> but how do you think your gig went? All right. I, I couldn't I see anything notes. or hear anything. No. <laughs> so that was interesting. Yeah. It was sort of like a light in my face. Yeah. And a buzz from the monitor. <laughs> yeah, there was a weird crackle on the monitor, man. Yeah. I don't know where it was, but I fucking... Couldn't hear the guitar at all. No. But... Yeah, no one threw anything, yeah. so that's a win. Yeah. No, man, from the audience perspective, you sounded as good as, you know, you can. Yeah. They put, like, these spotlights on, and you just see, like, individual faces one at a time. Yeah. And there's no one looked really particularly angry or no. <laughs> no, man, fed I think, up. I think you had a good reception to it, but was there anything... Obviously, it's a two-hour drive from yeah. here. How many gigs have you had since we came out of lockdown? Um, That's a good question. I don't know. No. <laughs> And it's probably the most I've ever played locally, actually. Really? At a circuit of local gigs. Mm. Normally I do like a couple a year because there aren't many venues that I can go play sad boy songs. <laughs> but um, yeah, all of a sudden they've cropped up and there's a new places that have opened during lockdown. Mm. And they've booked me in for like a Wednesday afternoon or something. Yeah. And uh, it's been really nice. Sort of knocked the rust off. Yeah. How you have know, the local gigs been going? Like, have you started building more of a following in your home area? I don't know. It's sad to say. Like... Everything's online first, isn't it? Yeah. So, like, unless you know beforehand who's coming yeah. for you or who's coming just to be there. Mm. But um, oh, that's cool. Hopefully I'll have a couple more, uh, some new places that have opened up. But um, yeah, it's nice to knock the rust off. Yeah. Obviously Manchester last week. Oh, shit, yeah. So that was uh, a big one. 
Mm. So I've got a bit of practicing before I got there. Mm. Is there anything you do for like gigs? Like practice? Is it just like you go through like a set? Like do you have a set, like written amount of songs that you do, or is it like you have like a set like these are the songs I'm gonna play for? I've sets, got the songs that I've it? written, and I will play until someone tells me to shut up. I don't write <laughs> anything down, nothing at all, no set list, yeah. no pre-planning. I just go by. With a crowd, I usually start off with a nice slow, easy one to ease into it. Yeah. Usually finish on a sad song, yeah. well, a sadder song. But um, yeah, there's no method to it. Mm. Just uh, if they're up, they're up. If they're not, yeah. hold it back. Yeah. It's interesting because I noticed you didn't have a set list today, so it's like you specifically. Was that always how you've gone into it, or did you used to write set lists? No, never. Really? I used to have one with the band. Yeah. But that's because um, the guys really needed to know, yeah. and there were certain songs they started, so I need to know what was coming. Um, but now on my own, it's uh, it's just me, so I'd have to worry about anyone else. So I know roughly how long if I play so many songs, what it's gonna be. Mm. But yeah, wing it. Mm. It's getting stressed with the band trying to organise stuff, so yeah. I'm not organising nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a date. Tell me where it is. Mm. Let's do it. Cool man. And how long have you been doing this for now? Um, like the solo acoustic stuff. Not that long. Mm. I've been in bands a lot more than I was solo. Mm. Never really had the confidence to be solo. Still don't, but I <laughs> can just get up and go now mm. instead of freaking out and having anxiety yeah. attacks. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, that used to be a big thing. Yeah. I went from a five-piece pub covers band to doing like a sit-down listening show, mm. and I didn't twig on that it'd be different, and I sort of got in front of people and just proper shit the bed. Really? <laughs> it's like, holy shit. I'm on my own, there's no one around. <laughs> Everyone's looking at me. Yeah. What's happening? Yeah, man. I remember... It took a lot of getting used to. Yeah, the first time I ever tried to sing in public, I was in high school. And I can... Do you know, like, that stage fright that you see um, in, like, movies and TV shows where they literally can't... Like, a word doesn't come out. Yeah. And all the kids just start ripping, like, carry... <laughs> yeah, that happened. <laughs> and I've always kind of been of... Like, that's the worst case scenario. Yeah. So anything else after that's a bonus, but I remember having that shit. But what was the catalyst to go from the pub bands to the country stuff? Um, or to the solo stuff? My nan passed away. Mm. I wrote the, the first single I wrote. And um, people seemed to like it. What was that song? At the end of the day. Mm. I wrote it about her after she died. It was a bit like therapy. Mm. So I thought, you know, um, people seem to like that one. I'll try and write another one. Mm. And then I sort of got like a 20 minute set together. So I was doing like open mics. And um, people seemed to enjoy it. Mm. And I just kept slowly building the setup, threw a few covers in. And um, just really started to enjoy just doing my own stuff. Yeah. Because no matter what band you're in, there's almost always a compromise. Yeah. And uh, I just didn't want to compromise anymore. Mm. Just slowly built up, got the confidence to get out there, try my own songs. Yeah. I've written songs with bands, but then it's not the same as going out yeah. on your own because you've always got like a band with you. Mm. Like, I've always sang and played. The whole family sing and play. Yeah. So it's always something I've been around, but... Like I said, it was a confidence thing as well. Mm. I never really just wanted to push mm. my own thing. Yeah, what was, like... Obviously, with that song about your nan and stuff, what was the confidence or the first kind of thought process for when you started getting up on stage and solo stuff? Was there a, you know... I am... I'm not very confident at this. Yeah. And it was, like, a leap of faith kind of thing, or was it kind of... My wife's you know, very confident for me. She's yeah. a big supporter. <laughs> and, like... I used to get panic attacks and stuff, even like about travel and dravi- uh, driving. Mm. Um, I had a car crash and it made me very nervous to go anyway. Yeah. And she was the one that always pushed me forward, come on, you can do this, and she'd have a word of me. So when I'd be freaking out and 
not wanted to do anything, she sort of talked me back down to it. Oh, sick man. Yeah. How long have you been married for now? Coming up to ten years. Nice. Yeah. It only feels like two or three because I'm still young and useful. <laughs> it still feels <laughs> fresh and everything. Out of the way, old man. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. Like, it's weird. Obviously, I've been married nearly three weeks. Yeah. No, and it's crazy. But obviously, you have a wife and kids and stuff, and you still gig and stuff. Is it hard to juggle yeah. those things and those responsibilities? It's hard on myself. I'm very hard on myself. Mm. I feel guilty because it is quite a selfish thing to get up and drive five hours the wrong direction. Yeah. Like I said, um, she's very supportive of what I'm doing, mm. and a lot of things I wouldn't do if it wasn't very pushing me. Yeah. So it's good in a way. Mm. But um, yeah, man. Like I don't like staying over anyway. So like last weekend, I drove to Manchester and back that night. Yeah. Because um, if I'm not in the bed with my missus and the kids aren't around, I don't sleep. Mm. So I wouldn't have been any better off for staying away anyway. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. You just get used to it. Yeah, especially with the the lockdown and stuff. Become very close. Mm. And uh, almost a hermit. <laughs> so, like, coming back out into the wheels, weird. Yeah. That's the thing, because we had these conversations. Was it hard Yeah. during lockdown? Let me just switch this light off, because I don't want to waste the battery. You're going to say switch the microphone yeah, on. Let me just switch it off. Taking the piss out of me the whole time. <laughs> yeah, we haven't even hit record on this. <laughs> but, um, with lockdown, we obviously had those conversations. Was it hard to get back to playing after such a long time? I nearly quit so many times. Really? As you know, because mm. you've talked me around as well so many times. I got, like, the first lockdown, I was proactive. I wanted to write songs and play and practice. And then fatigue sort of hit in, yeah. and I just hated music. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't even listening to music. I was just doing anything else, just going for walks. Mm. I think you sort of go into, like, a survival mode mm. to get you through this weird situation. Yeah. And it just got completely fatigued and uninterested in doing anything. Like I say, I, I missed a load of releases and stuff. It just, I wasn't even listening to music, really. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, man. So it did take a lot to get back into doing it. Mm. And uh, the first gig back was at like, a small cafe, and I was so nervous. Like, I've never been that nervous before a gig. Yeah. And I still wasn't sure if I wanted to carry on and push it. But once I got in there and started setting everything up, the nerves went mm. completely. And, uh, yeah, man. Yeah. Weird. It's weird, man, because, like... Obviously, everyone didn't gig for ages, and I think if we didn't have the rogue stuff, I'd have fell into a bit more of a yeah. fucking spiral with it, because that was a good thing to keep focused on, and obviously the podcast and shit, but I think, like, because even this fucking weekend, man, I was like, do I actually enjoy this? Yeah, man. And you have those conversations with yourself where you're like, do I actually need to be fucking driving, like, nine hours for this? Is this actually what I want to be spending my time with? And it's those conversations are a grim, man. Yeah. Like, um... Like I say, I'm grateful I had you boys with me doing the rogue stuff, because I just wasn't keeping up to date with anything mm. at that point, and yeah. you sort of propped each other up, and I know you guys have done the same thing, yeah. it gets too much, someone else sort of steps in and helps yeah. each other, and you know, everyone's really supportive of each other as well, which yeah. is great. That's been the, like, the good thing for the last yeah. like, lockdowns and shit. And discovered so many great artists yeah. and friends, Yeah. you know. Yeah. It's been crazy, the, man, it's like, because obviously the rogue stuff... We set up as a like an antithesis, like an like the answer to the shit that we just don't get. Like obviously, I'm not saying this in a bit way, but we don't get promoted and we don't get no. like a spotlight in the UK the same way other artists do. So we set this up as a way to kind of a home for misfits. Yeah, a home for misfits, and it, <laughs> it was, didn't quite have their place. Yeah, and just to like get other people noticed and yeah. stuff, but. I, I didn't want to spend time bashing shit I didn't like yeah. and complaining about the situation. Yeah. That would have been easy to do if we'd have just completely just gone, fuck you, fuck you, fuck uh, you. Fuck. Crap. Yeah. But then it kind of baffled me 
no one else really set it up. No. Like, it, it wasn't like... Like, I was kind of expecting Mork to come out of lockdown of other people doing their own thing and yeah. setting their own stuff, because this wasn't that hard to do. Maybe you're doing too good of a job. Maybe. We've <laughs> just taken all the other competition. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, like, if you're going to spend that much time shitting on stuff you don't like, imagine what would happen yeah. if you put that effort and time into yeah. doing something positive instead. Yeah, That's the thing, man, because like, I remember for ages when I first started out, I've been doing this four years. Yeah coming up five years in like last like September just gone I remember the, the first year I was trying to get into like country gigs yeah. and trying to get into like the Liverpool songwriter things and I started just having a fucking not a breakdown but it was just like what is it that I'm doing that's not fucking working like why does everyone hate me well, I can write you a list of why people hate you, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I've got one prepared, actually. Let me just get my book. <laughs> is this what this book has for? <laughs> it's an invention of why I'm a cunt. Do you know what grinds my gears? <laughs> <laughs> but it was like fucking bashing my head against the wall trying to get these fucking people to notice me. And the biggest like revelation and the biggest relief was when I was like, I don't fucking need these guys. Yeah. Do you know, like that first single I released, mm. I was so concerned that it wasn't really country. Yeah. And I got... Then I had these reviews from all these British country publications, whatever you want to call them. Oh, it's too country for radio play and this <laughs> won't take off. It's a nice song, but it's too traditional, it's too country. Yeah. I was like, holy crap. I was freaking out because it was probably like the most commercial thing I've ever written. Yeah. And like compared to my other stuff, it's kind of like pop by a country mile. <laughs> but then to be told that that wasn't yeah. what people want to listen to and that's not mainstream. Mm. It's like, holy shit, what have I got to do? Yeah. To get noticed. That's the thing, man. And I was like that. I was like... And obviously, I'm not as country as you are. Yeah. But I'm apparently the other side of it. <laughs> and it was like, what do I have to do to get fucking noticed by these people? And it was like a freeing moment to be like, I don't need to be fucking noticed by these people. And then when we just kind of... Because obviously, I'd started talking to you by then. It was just... We just fucking do our own thing. Yeah. And it seems to have done well. Like, I don't think I've ever missed out on doing it our own way. No. It's still the same gigs everyone else is doing. Yeah. But at least we've got a platform and people to champion that side of things. Yeah. And there's other people who wouldn't necessarily have got involved that are now, like you see in the groups. Yeah. You know, being invited to songwriters rounds and stuff online, especially yeah. during lockdown. Um, it's just a good platform. Yeah. Like I said, we want to offer like a community. Yeah. For that sort of thing, if there's a gap there and people want to hear it. Yeah. Then, you know, we're proving it's there. Yeah, man, that's the thing. We've proven that, like, you don't have to be... Not necessarily even kissing us. You don't have to be have to in those circles and play those games. And pay lots of money. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking pay a subscription fee to get ignored. <laughs> even Alex, who's, like, the controversial one, isn't actually being that controversial no. unless you're doing shady shit. Yeah. And then it sort of hit, hits home, but... It's never malicious. He just loves the scene and wants people to... Yeah. Do well. Yeah. Do you ever worry that the rogue stuff overshadows what you do? Um, not really. No. No. Yeah. I think it's two separate things. Mm. I try to stay my end at least very much in the background. Yeah. Because it's not about me. It's not about yeah, you. That's... It's not about Alex. Yeah. Um. So I don't think it really crosses over that much. Yeah. I've never been called a rogue or booked as a rogue. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just two different parts of the same yeah. coin, I think. Yeah. I I got introduced the other month as one. And it just kind of like... That's because you're from Liverpool and it's like a stolen bike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it didn't sit like great with me because it was like... The whole point is so it's it's not our 
thing to push us. No. Like, I'd feel weird if it was to just push us. It's the same thing with those gigs we're booking in next year. It was like, I was talking to the booking agent. He was like, are you opening them? And I was like, I'm not that much of a dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Like, I think that's the difference as well. We're not trying to make it about ourselves. Mm. We're not pushing ourselves yeah. any more than anything. We're not, you know, dishing out awards to ourselves. Yeah, that's the thing. And stuff like that. Yeah, the biggest it's thing... It's about I... the music. The music comes first. Yeah. I Is think it... the most important thing was the conversation we had where we were like, we aren't going to do fucking awards and we aren't going to back this and we aren't yeah. going to back that. We don't want it to be about the organisation. We want yeah. it to be about the music. Yeah. And that gets forgotten about with scenes. Like... Yeah, it becomes a social club and the music's yeah. like tertiary. And then you sort of get into that gatekeeping sort of thing yeah. and the majority want a certain thing and then others don't. And it's not about that. The music needs to come first. Yeah. If you haven't got the love for the music there and you're not pushing the music, then what's the point? Exactly. Like, yeah. But, you know, let's talk about pushing you. How's the uh, new album been going? Yeah, man. It's cool. Um, but a um, long time in the works, I think. Because mm. uh, when did you release One for Sorrow? Just before lockdown, properly, I think it was mm. the October. Because I know when we did that gig in 2019, yeah. in December, you had it then. So it was before then. Yeah, but only just. But I haven't really. Just. I haven't gigged it much. Mm. So got how many years boxes have... upon boxes yeah. of EPs gathering dust? Yeah. How many years? So from when you first started like gigging as a country artist? Yeah. Like how? Like was it like one or two years like, since? It wasn't years? much. Yeah. No, I haven't been like still not on the scene long compared to some people. Mm. Like I said, a couple of years maybe mm. before the well obviously we've lost two in lockdown or whatever yeah so it was only like two or three years before that yeah and now it's sort of like starting again mm. <laughs> yeah but except I got nicer shirts <laughs> with the new album obviously you recorded one for sorrow have you approached the album differently obviously you're bringing more like instruments and like a band to it yeah have you gone with a, a different mentality I've always had this plan in mind I knew what the singles were going to be. Mm. I knew what the EP was going to sound like. And uh, I wanted to slowly build up to yeah. the album and show off the different sides of my songwriting style. Because mm. there's a group of songs that don't fit with other songs and they're all in different styles. Yeah. Uh, the EP was very much like more of the folky country end Appalachian sort of mm. style. I wanted that very stripped back and rootsy, mm. you know, to focus on that sort of side of things. This one's gonna be big. It's gonna everything I'm throwing at it. Yeah. Um, my brother was very kindly enough offered to uh, record it for me. Mm. So I got offered a couple of really shitty <laughs> <laughs> deals at the beginning of lockdown. Yeah. That just didn't work out. Um, they wanted to own everything on yeah. the off chance that they would work with me. Yeah, man. It's baffling at this level where people are like dragons den in it, where it's yeah. like, I will give you five grand for 100% of your company. It wasn't even like, going to give me anything. Yeah. It's just, like, we want to own your songs and the off chance we're going to work with you more. Yeah. And I showed my brother because he's a lot more clued up with the industry side of things. Yeah. And he's like, nah, fuck that. We can do it ourselves. Yeah, that's so fucking dumb. So we had no budget, yeah. no time scale, uh, nothing set in place, no plan. And uh, yeah, man, it's, it's really going well. <laughs> I can't believe how well it's been going. Mm. Yeah, um, we've got a couple of songs tracked out, guitar and vocals. Yeah. I've sent some stuff off to Stephen Hicken Jr. Nice. Who's putting his uh, magic touch on it? Mm. We've got a um, couple of stuff with the rhythm section put in now, ready to move forward with that. Yeah. I think I got like five songs to track. Cool. Man. How many songs are you putting on this record, or how many have you are you planning on? Um, we're gonna record everything mm. that I haven't released. And we're going to build the album from what fits the best. Nice. That's going to be 10 tracks, hopefully. Cool. 
and we're gonna have some change then for some singles. Cool. Man. Hopefully, um, people listen to it. And with a, a lot of these songs, were you writing during lockdown, or are they ones you've had for a while? The ones I've had for a while. Mm. I haven't written much during the lockdown. Like I said, I struggled for most yeah. of it. But there's a few new ones in there. Some I've worked on more recently. Mm. Some I worked on during the first lockdown. Yeah. Um. Yeah, man. Mm. It's just been fun. Especially like. I do most of my shows acoustic. Yeah. So to hear it with a bit of backing and see it come to life. Yeah, and it just adds a depth to it. Yeah, there's songs we've worked on already that I thought were just filler songs for, you know, oh, I need 45 minutes of it. Yeah. You know, throw away songs that I didn't really care that much about. And they sound fucking good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does that change your opinion of the song then when you see it has more of like a yeah. value to it? Definitely. Um, like I say, when you see it come to life and it's got this energy of its own and it's not where you thought it was. And it's like, I don't write for anyone else but myself. Yeah. So to hear it really take on a life of its own. Yeah. Is what it's all about for me. Cool man. Okay. So new album. Yeah. What's been your approach? Obviously, you're recording everything, you know, and you're gonna see like what's the theme. But do you have like a theme or a goal in mind with the record? Not really. Like I said, um, we're winging most of it. Mm. None of this was planned or thought out. So. Whatever sounds like it belongs together yeah. is going to be the album. And then anything else to be put out of singles. Try and gauge a bit of interest. Mm. So, uh, yeah. Cool, man. I think it's better in a way because uh, I like to keep things organic. Yeah. Like, uh, just sort of throw it at session musicians and see what they come up with. They're not very, like, hands on. Yeah, you want, like, you want yeah. to ask the specific melodies or anything you want to see, like, what no. the collaboration is of it. Obviously, just um, produced it then what you think goes where and mm. editing it together to the point where you're happy yeah. if Stephen's been really good he sends us like two versions and we sort of yeah, build Frankenstein's yeah. fucking song out of it mm. and with that kind of thing once they've got that sent over do you do you then start looking at what would fit better and yeah. maybe tweaking it there a lot of stuff like I won't come up with what I've got in mind until I've heard my parts back yeah. from a fresh perspective mm. I don't know about you, um, I'm a bugger for like listening to what's going on while I'm playing. So I'll focus on one thing instead of the overall thing. Yeah. So like, um, when we're doing the vocal takes, I'll do the guitar first, and I'll time that in my head. And I won't sing or play, like, it'll do all separately. Yeah. Because if I'm trying to do both, I won't focus on either. Yeah. Yeah, it's all man, like I did, I think for the next album I'm going to play both at the same time. At least with the scratch track, so I know yeah. what I'm doing. Because it's hard when you're just playing the guitar and you're so used to doing both. Yeah. I always like come in late, or I'm just like off beat with it. I find them better though, because I'm not distracted by mm. vocals or trying to remember words. Yeah. Like, forget everything. <laughs> um. And then obviously we let it as we go. The good thing is we're not really tied down by a, like a budget for the studio time. Yeah. So we we've got room today to mess around with stuff and change things over, mm. and redo bits if we need to. So in that respect, it's um, pretty good. Yeah, and is there anyone that is like influenced on this album? Like, are there any artists that you've got in your mind where you're like, these people are specifically influencing this record? Not really. Mm. Um, there might be like a certain sound you want for different songs. Yeah. So that's the only references I've really given the guys. Mm. Is um, oh, I quite like the tone of this. Oh yeah, what stuff have you been sending over to them? I'm not telling you. <laughs> it's the whole point of this fucking conversation. Nah, we want to talk about my new dog. <laughs> we'll do that after, but like, yeah, like um, we've got a Spotify playlist. Yeah, and it's got certain sounds and 
songs on there that I quite like. Yeah. But then a lot of it is up to interpretation as well, because mm. I like to see what other people can bring to the table, because um, you don't want to be like too close-minded yeah. or tunnel vision. Um, yeah, so some really nice surprises, and then if I need to say, well, how about we try it like this? Yeah. Then it goes both ways. Um, it's like I say, I'm not like regimented in what I want and how mm. I'm gonna do it. It's very organic. Yeah. Which um, I enjoy. I can't be too organised. I just don't work that well. If I was any good at that, I'd have stayed in school. <laughs> <laughs> and with the album and stuff, when are you kind of aiming to release it? Will it be this year? When it's done. When it, just when it's yeah. done. But like I said, just, we winged the whole thing. None of this was planned, so yeah. I can't say, right, I got a deadline. Yeah. This is why you can't have a label or a manager, man. They'd have a stroke. They would. <laughs> and I'd just be so chill about them freaking out, and we'd get nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. Don't worry about it. but it's crazy man with this new record have you got because obviously you had the Appalachian sound of the first one and you've been listening to a Spotify playlist of songs that will remain anonymous for the time being but you have kind of a goal to reach more people with this record obviously that's the goal with every record but is it do you have like specific people in mind for this like you know Buck Owens fans or like traditional country fans like I said, I write for myself. Mm. There's no other agenda to that. I'm not writing to get in the bloody iTunes charts or, you know, yeah. to prove a point to anybody. Yeah. A lot of musicians do, which is fine if that's what you're into, but I write for myself. These are the songs and sounds that I like and what I grew up listening to. Yeah. So if I can reach those people, that's a success. A success. If there's only a handful of them, you know, so be it. Yeah. Like, it's not about money or followers or any of that crap mm. it's finding the people who understand you know there's nothing better as a fan of music to find a song that really hits home with yeah. you and that resonates with you on a whole different mm. level luke hendrickson's very good at that yeah some of his songs are just blows your mind every time you hear them mm. and if i can have that effect on somebody like even if it's just one person who he listens to that song and think holy shit that guy gets it yeah that's that's a win yeah, and Luke's covering the old house for his album that's coming out this yeah, month. Man. Did he let you know before he was going to record that, or was it just like he sort of built up to it? He did um, an acoustic version yeah. for his. Uh... Oh shit! I get confused with the other one. Um... Is it Low in the Fields sessions where he covers his friend songs? Oh yeah, yeah. So he did it for that, and um, that was really like blew my mind. And then he sort of wanted to do it for a live session for some Minnesota project he was mm. working on where they videoed in a, like a studio setting. Yeah. And he asked me if he could do it for that. And then um, he approached me then about doing it on the album. He said he's got a few other songs that have a similar sort of vibe and they've been going down well at gigs. And um, he sent me the version of it and he's done a fantastic yeah. job. Um, I can't believe how much different it sounds yeah but without having to change too much mm. the basic structure and all is what i did yeah but then he's added certain flourishes and instrumentation yeah, I mean, he's and just wallpapered it yeah he's really done a you know, yeah. fantastic job he hasn't shit on the original and lost its way from it but what he has done is still very much luke hendrickson yeah. and um yeah we started getting reviews for that and i've been nosing because <laughs> uh it's nice to see what people interpret my songs as yeah. from a different perspective. 
Yeah. And it's been really nice one. Um, like I said, as an artist, having somebody cover your song yeah. and do such an awesome job on it, mm. that was kind of mind blowing. Yeah. Again, it, like that's how I'd gauge success. Yeah. Yeah. Has it made you think about like because the old houses that's not going to be on the new record, is it? Like, are no. you kind of done with yeah. whatever everything that was on One for Sorrow is going to stay on One for Sorrow? Yeah. And you, like with Luke's vision, it hasn't made you think about how to rearrange it and put it onto your new record. No. No, no I, I wouldn't want to do that. And I don't want to. I think if I did, I'd be influenced by what he did. Yeah. You know, because I've already written the song that was my interpretation. So if I tried to redo it, then it'd be influenced by what he did. Mm. And um, I'm happy with that song. It was um, perfect for that time. Yeah. But now I'm moving on to something else. I really love how you play that live as well. I think your vocals are really fucking like because it was the second song you played today, and it really just fucking cut through it. I think everyone. Hey, I think when you're doing it in a live setting, you can put more emotion into it. Yeah. It's not as rigid, and you've got people here to feed off. Yeah. If you can see them. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man. Um, like I say, I don't really do anything the same twice. Yeah. It's just if people are enjoying it, I keep going. Mm. It's all very loose. And obviously Luke's coming over next year and you're touring with him. Yeah. And I'm touring with him because I've put the whole fucking thing together. I am just jumping in. <laughs> just jumping in. <laughs> Are you planning on doing that as a duet, man? Because I think that'd be really fucking cool. Do you know, he's messaged me. He's like, dude, who gets to play it? <laughs> it's like, well, surely we're both I'm going to play it. it and both of you can fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the only compromise. <laughs> but no, I was like, yeah, we should try and do it together. Yeah. So that'll be interesting. Yeah. But with the tour next year is that going to be your first like tour tour yeah yeah definitely um again you've pushed me to try something i wouldn't normally have put myself forward for mm. and um it's gonna be really interesting yeah. has there been a reason because obviously like i did one in 2018 just because i find like in my head as a musician it's like it's one of those things you have to do yeah but was that ever in your mind as like you needed to like put a run of shows together like that um, it's not something I really thought of. Hmm. Like, I know you've very proactive and organised your own tours, and you've gone with other people and you've organised for them to come down. And yeah. I'm just happy to play. So <laughs> whatever comes my way, yeah. I'll either embrace it or I won't do it. Mm. Yeah. And this is a great opportunity. But it was never anything on my. Like, I haven't got like a bucket list of things I have to do. Really, there's nothing no. that like you need to like tick off. Like I said to me, this is the first time I heard one of my songs being played on a radio station. Is like. I was just messing around in my kitchen with that like three weeks ago. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Just grown from that. Mm. It's just embrace the good. Yeah. That's all you can do. Otherwise, you can become like obsessive and stress over things. And that was episode 50 of Into the Van, Into the Bag with the mighty Josh Bettis. Please go check out his EP, One for Sorrow. Get ready for new music and he will be playing in a town near you. I guarantee it. Until next time, folks, keep supporting the things you love. Keep listening the way you want to listen. Keep loving the things you do. And until next time, peace. <laughs>